0: Master Hakuin's Chant and Praise of Zazen. From the very beginning, all beings are Buddha. Like water and ice, without water no ice, outside us no Buddhas. How near the truth, yet how far we seek. Like one in water, crying, I thirst. Like a child of rich birth, wandering poor on this earth, we endlessly circle the six worlds. The cause of our sorrow is ego delusion. From dark path to dark path, we wandered in darkness. How can we be free from birth and death? The gateway to freedom is Zazen Samadhi, beyond exaltation, beyond all our praises, the pure Mahayana. Upholding the precepts, repentance and giving, the countless good deeds in the way of right living all come from Zazen. Thus one true Samadhi extinguishes evils. It purifies karma, dissolving obstructions. Then where are the dark paths to lead us astray? The pure lotus land is not far away. Hearing this truth, heart humble and grateful, to praise and embrace it, to practice its wisdom, brings unending blessings, brings mountains of merit. And when we turn inward and prove our true nature, that true self is no self, our own self is no self, we go beyond ego and past clever words. Then the gate to the oneness of cause and effect is thrown open. Not two and not three straight ahead runs the way. Our form now being no form, and going and returning, we never leave home. Our thought now being no thought, our dancing and songs are the voice of the Dharma. How vast is the heaven of boundless samadhi. How bright and transparent the moonlight of wisdom. What is there outside us? What is that we lack? Nirvana is openly shown to our eyes. This earth where we stand is the pure lotus land. And this very body, the body of Buddha. Today is Tuesday the 14th of September 2021 and um, the topic of today's Te Show will be uh, Te Ao Māori. We're celebrating Māori language, Language Week this week, Te Wiki o Te Reo Māori and um, some of us today participated in um, one of the events of Māori Language Week which was um, getting as many people at noon today speaking, learning, hearing, reading, studying te reo Māori and I heard um, on the news that that um, uh, over a million people participated in this and as people will know who read the our e-newsletter, the um, weekly update. Um, what we were doing was uh, chanting the four vows, hao, wati efa. We um, had the vows translated um, last year by um, Tom Roa, Nāti Maniapoto Waikato, who's a, um, a scholar, a linguist at Waikato University. So uh, Richard had met him there during his um artisan residence year and um he sounded to us like a, an ideal person to do this he'd already done some translating for uh B- Bahai prayers and um we also heard that uh he had translated Alice in Wonderland uh, into Tadeo and um yeah, there was a sense that, that he would have the, the right the touch and temperament to, to um, translate the vows for us, the four vows. And we were and are very happy with um, the translation that we have. It's, it's, it's pithy and powerful and at the same time um, poetic and reveals different nuances in the vows. Um, and I guess this is something that that uh, happens each time something like this gets translated and these vows of course go all the way back to China um, then we were taken to Japan and chanted in the Sino-Japanese and then then translated into English when Zen came to the West so we're just continuing um, a process, adding another step to this process in, in uh, translating the vows into te reo. Um, we, we, we chant them a couple of times every week, Thursday mornings, or Thursday, rather Thursday evenings and Sunday mornings. And um, it's a very um, satisfying thing to do. There's there's the beauty of the language, and perhaps somehow this resonance of it being a language that has has uh, deep roots here in in New Zealand in Aotearoa, and of course also in the Pacific, our wide, wider region. For people who maybe um, new. To these vows. Um, you can just um, spend a, a little bit of time unpacking them. They're not the main topic of our talk today, but um, it could help to enrich the experience of chanting uh, these regularly. Um, first one, Konga Koyora Katoa He ta tau kore wati me fakaora. This um, the first part, Koyora Katoa, means um, all living beings. Um, the 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 term koyora is also used, for instance, for describing um, a biologist, so so um all, all human and animal beings, we could say. Hetao Kore countless, and then Kotaku Wati me whaka'ora. This is this kotakuwati Wati appears in each each of the vowels. It's the um, vow part Wati from oath, and um, the the final Fakaua is is. Got lots of rich meanings um, to to um, give life to 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 support um, to heal to save um, the 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 word for a lifeboat in Tereo has, has got whakaora on the end of it, pauti whakaora, um, so we have the sense of being, of, the, of a resonance of crossing over to the other shore in this, in this um, version of the vowel. Then the second one, konga aure aurere pohe he kore kotaku wati me ketu ketu. The aurere is um a wail or a groan. Um, so it is a very, very embodied uh, term for um, passion. Aure pohe. Pohe is, means blind but it also has connotations of uh, stupid and of death as well. So we're not talking about life-giving passions but 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 the ones that cause us so much suffering. Endlessly, he mutungo kore. Kotaku wati me ketuketu. This ketuketu is um, another really rich word just um getting so It can also be used just um it was related to the word that's just not repeated so ketu which um is removing earth or clearing away darkness so it's a beautiful sense of, of delving into these blind passions, bringing light to them, light, lighting them up. But also, it also has a very earthy meaning. It's, it's, the, it's the word that's used for, for um, when a pig roots around in the earth. Third one, konga harama he kotakuati ko metomo. Uh, Kuaharama, dharma gates, he rūdikore, without measure. And this rudi relates to the word rude in um, English, R O O D, which was a measurement that was used by the, the surveyors who came and and um, and uh, divided up um, the land of New Zealand for, for to be parcelled off to settlers, so it's a, it's, it's perhaps quite um, a loaded term. Kōngākua harama, gates beyond measure, not broken up by those those roods. Ko taku wati me metomo. I vow to enter. Te ara hara apura kotaku wati me fa. Te ara, the path, fa great path or exceptional path, apura the Buddha, the Buddha. Kotaku wati me Fai. Fa here is um, also rich, to to pursue to attain to follow, but also to perform a karakia. So we could say, I vow to, to practice or embody the great way of the Buddha. Yeah. And in each of these, we have this kore going through them. He tatau kore, he mutunga kore, um, he rudikore. At least in the first three, and this kore is the without part, um, and in the in the Sino-Japanese version, the the character that's used for this this part of the, each sentence is mu. Not or has not. And the te kore. The the, the, the the void um, is found is found in 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 uh, maori imagery the nothingness so perhaps um Question to answer might be why? What prompted us to get this translation done? In our ethical guidelines, which we've just renewed, we do this annually with um, the committee, the EAR committee, and with the trustees. So we have a trustee meeting tomorrow night, which will be where we'll be um, looking at the Guidelines again, our ethical guidelines. We have um, in there an aspiration to be welcoming to all people, and we include there a reference to the importance of the treaty. And really, to be welcoming of somebody, um, we need to understand them: their, their values, their history, their needs, and that. In our situation, in our culture, can include learning and also unlearning because we um, we have biases and prejudices around other peoples. Given that, given that. Um, Quite a big proportion of our of our membership are Pākehā. We, um, there may be assumptions there that we are unaware of, because as part of the of the um, dominant culture, we may not be all that aware of our our attitudes to tangata whenua. So we've undertaken to to find ways to to, um, honour the treaty, learn more about it, and find out how doing that, uh, in what ways doing that honouring is appropriate for us in our particular community. The other thing we did last year was we... um, Learn more about Mangari Mountain that so dominates our horizon here in Onihonga, just across the water. Um, Mangari Mountain's actual name is Te Pane o Mataoho. Mataoho is the atua of volcanic activity. Te Pane means the head, so the head of Mataoho. And I hope that we will be able to find s- steps to take each year uh, to learn more and to unlearn our, our um, assumptions, prejudices. It's, an, it's not a process that, that Evan will really be finished. Because it can always be a deepening, and and um, there's much there's much that we have to learn. We often suffer from quite a bit of um, you could say collective amnesia about our history, and it is a living history. Um, there are communities which um, are still suffering from things that happened. Decades even centuries ago or a century ago and it 's not easy for um, people in the dominant group to actually take in that and and feel it ourselves we had a our Ear committee. Ear stands for ethics and reconciliation. We had that on Sunday, and we're talking about um, the treaty and how we've we've already committed to making major decisions um, at the centre, taking into account climate change in whenever we make major decisions or purchases and so forth. And um, somebody said, "Well, what about the treaty? What if we were to?" take into account the treaty in all our decision-makers and when we say the treaty really mean partnership or um, yeah partnership with Maori but really we'd have to have quite a deeper understanding of Maori, Maori values, um, really what what true partnership is um, and would look like for us it would be that in itself is a process to undertake, and it's ongoing. It has to be ongoing. It, for me, recently, the the um, climate change work and work on on uh, on more understanding around the treaty came together. In that, I have been working on a. Um, a climate change statement from religious leaders, a draft statement um, with a with a group, a working group of a bunch of different people, uh, scientists, um, activists, um, familiar with climate change issues. And um, in the process of developing this document, I worked some with um, Anton Spellman. Who's um, uh, an Anglican and was 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 roped into this process by um, the organisers um, in order to bring a, pa- a Maori perspective to the document, and I actually still haven't met him. This is all being done under lockdown. I have spoken to him on the phone, and it it turned out in in. Uh, the st- statement we're working on is, is for, in order to give a message to the politicians who are going, possibly going to um, Glasgow for the COP26 climate change talks, very important talks, really what people decide here will be extremely um, crucial in terms of whether we can take the steps we need to before it's too late. And so the the message of the document is is make the strongest possible commitments and take a take a um, be an example to others so that that there can be a chance of um, others taking the same strong measures. And it turned out in in working on this process that Anton has had a lot to do with a a, a treaty relationships framework. Um, that was developed by um, an organisation called um, the Community Sector Task Force. I tried to find out something about this, and it was—it was, it was um, seems to have been part of of the Ministry of Social Development up until twenty eleven. Um, then there didn't seem to be much more information around on, uh, after around that date. But it developed a, a whole framework for. Um, Treaty relationships, in other words, between Tangata whenua and Tangata Treaty, Tiriti. We'll we'll come back to this term a little bit further on. But just to um, read a little bit from from the introduction to this uh, this framework is. The authors write, for indigenous people worldwide, wild, worldwide, there is a generally held belief that everything is connected. In Te Ao Māori, these connections and our knowledge of them are generally understood in terms of relationships. Relationships. We recently, I think it was in Sishin, were Um, quoting um, uh, Chinese-American teacher Guo Gu on wisdom and compassion. And he he says, What is wisdom? Wisdom is emptiness. What is emptiness? Relationships. So you are made up of non-you. You are related to everything else, everyone else. In Chan, when a person gains insight into wisdom, which is insight into the nature of emptiness, it is at the same time the realization of compassion. Wisdom and compassion are not two wings of a bird. They are actually the same thing. Wisdom is interconnectedness. Emptiness is relationships. When you become relationships, you become everything else. Amid relationship, nowhere is there attachment or self-referentiality. This is the meaning of supreme wisdom. Gaining, losing, wanting, rejecting, they are all based on self-referentiality and attachment. You mustn't lose sight of who you actually are. Just, just mentioning this as a kind of resonance. I'm not saying that the, 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 our views about relationships are the same, but it would be, would be interesting to have a conversation about the implications of this. Everything is connected, and everything is understood in terms of relationships. this passage continues from the time of early settlement in Aotearoa New Zealand the world view that operated was broadly Western in nature a Western world view understanding a Western world view understanding tends to segment the world in order to seek knowledge of its various parts the concept of the person therefore is often expressed using a language that relates to the autonomous individual Humanity is understood as separate from other parts of the natural world and that the relationship of humanity to nature is hierarchical with humanity in the dominant position. And this, of course, relates to climate change and the causes of climate change, that those in power have become so disconnected from the natural world that they can be literally soaring off the branch they're sitting on, relying on for support beneath them. As part of this, uh, this framework, which we can't go into too many details of, but um, just a little bit, the author set out a whole series of steps that one has to go through in order to really be relating. And it starts off with um, education. and uh, then um, willingness or readiness to to do the work of relating skill development behavior change systems and processes change organizational change and values and structural change it struck me it was a little bit like like the the beginning part of the eightfold path where there needs to be right view, and then out of right view comes right aspiration, and out of right aspiration, right action, speech, and livelihood. So, deeper, um, deeper change with each of them in some ways, more thoroughgoing. And we're, as a Sangha, as a community, we're right at this beginning stage, still um, in the education part, that we need to develop view. And awareness, knowledge, and then we can move we can move forward from there into deeper, deeper levels of relationship. And the way this this um, these layers, these levels are presented in this document um, is as as a circular. So again, not just a sequential um, unfolding, but coming back to, to uh, each of them as we go deeper into the model. So maybe seeing some, seeing enough to get going on the process with some right view but then when one engages um, in deeper ways that also brings more insight so there's a kind of a circular quality just as there often is in the depictions of the Eightfold Path. So, um, the, that's a little bit more on this, this, this framework. So the, the, the first module that is suggested is one around um, history. And, the, and just um, the learning objectives here, to describe the pre-colonial systems and structures that maintain the physical and mental well-being of Māori, in relation to the political, social, and resource base of the time. Then to look into the the Tiriti, the treaty, why it was signed, um, what the differences were between the the, the versions in English and in Maori, um, the relationship to the earlier Declaration of Independence, another document, and um, the status of, of Tangata whenua because of the treaty. And then the final part, to describe the health impact of settlement legislation, government action on Māori mental, physical and spiritual health, health particularly mentioning the suppression of the to, Tohunga Act and the impact following on whānau and hapao health status. This is modelled is as, as a, for a health organisation. It would be slightly different for different organisations. But then the list of things that impacted on Maori food, smoking, alcohol, child rearing, hygiene, diseases, and treatment. So those would be a one lens with which to look at the treaty. So bringing it, bringing it, also bringing it into one's local local area and how it impacts there. So doing that work, looking into the history, could be one way for us to go. Um, Another way, another way to go would be to, um, with with Terreo, would be to uh, perhaps get the centre's name translated. But perhaps more importantly than that. not necessarily to to learn to speak fluently though though learning how to pronounce Maori correctly is, is is an important step to take in terms of respecting the language but to understand some of the central concepts the pillars of the of te ao Maori is a really good place to start and um like to turn to another text in order to explore just one of these. Of course they're all interconnected. I want to read a little bit from uh, Climate Aotearoa What's Happening and What We Can Do About It. This is edited by former Prime Minister Helen Clark and um, when I first um, Encountered this book, I was really, really impressed by the first essay in the book, which is called "In Right Relationship," for Tanga," and it's by Haley Koroi. Um, she, she's um, called here an Indigenous sovereignty <clears throat> activist and Maori public health advisor. Just a little bit more about her. Um, she's, she's from the inland Utakura Valley, and this will be part of her, what we read from her. And the small coastal settlement of Pukepoto in the far north. This is up um, around, out of sight of Kaitaia, so very far north. And it says her movements are guided by a philosophy that realigning with whakapapa is key to the well-being of all our human and more than human relations. This has led her to work in spaces of indigenous education and training, Maori public health, climate justice, and creating alongside other indigenous women. Regardless of spaces occupied, she believes that if we are to, that if we are centering for naungatanga in our practice, then we are honouring the legacies passed down to us by our ancestors and inherited from us by our grandchildren. And this, um, this um, looking back and looking forward um, in, a, in a, a biological sense um, but also beyond that, in a spiritual sense, is so central to Maori and something I think we can we can learn from, and also see another resonance with our own emphasis on um, on lineage, different kind of lineage, a teaching lineage, and the the emphasis that is put in that on on uh, learning from our elders and passing on to our. To the next generation, so important. And um, was, the article is too long for us to cover all of it, but I'd like to read um, s- just some of it and uh, and make some comments on it because it's it's um, it really gives a, um, a poetic rendering um, and understanding of uh, tanga. in light relationship. The article is called. First, she talks about um, coming back to her um, home area. It's March 2020, and I'm driving along the windy and pothole-filled roads of Tehiku Oteika Aotearoa. This is the um, Tehiku Oteika is the, the tail of the fish, the, the fish being Teika Amawi that was um, caught by uh, Maui Potiki. and um, she she mentions in a footnote that there are there are five iwi that occupy this this uh, um, tail of the fish. Um, and she's part of uh, Te Rarawa. The sun is rising in the east behind my shoulder as I find my way across from Ōkaihau to the last winding strands of the Hokianga. Matai Tawa, Marai, nestles itself there between the Utakura River, the shelter of the towering mountain Fokarongorua, and the dusty road leading to Horeke. Horeke. These tireless landmarks are what I mostly remember about this place. I haven't been back here for any significant Kopapa in the least two years. We live in Auckland City, three hours away. I finally arrive, pulling into the car park. I take a moment to compose myself. There's something about entering a marae that c- requires consideration. I try to see from afar what is happening inside. No luck though. I'll just have to go in. I find a seat near the middle and look around to see if, if I know anyone. It's immediately evident, evident to those in the room that I'm not ho ha, kainga. Ho kainga means um, like a local for, the, for that marae. wai kwe, they ask, a fairly typical question within the Maori world. In English, this translates into who are you? and could even sound rude if taken out of context. Who are you, question we find in our own tradition as well. What are you? The way to answer the question is not necessarily to tell them your name. Instead, you tell them who your parents are, your aunties and uncles, and who your grandparents are. Within several seconds, people are reciting back to me their own lines of whakapapa, pointing at faded photographs along the wall. Your great-grandmother is the sister to my great-grandfather, says a cousin. A nearby uncle who has overheard our conversation recites to relatives as they pass by that this is so-and-so's great-granddaughter. Each strand of whakapapa illuminated feels like the weaving of my spirit back into one tight hold of the collective. Beautiful, beautiful um, description of this process. Then she says the privilege I feel being able to return home and with a little bit of menting, mending, find my whakapapa still intact is not at all lost on me. She goes to on to describe um, the the um, the way she's treated almost almost as as a, as a stranger but at the same time being woven back into her family she says i'm treated like manuhiri but i decide instead to see it as a pofairy a welcoming back to the source i turn my shame into humility and i sit and observe i observe as local place names are recited and iwi boundaries are lined on the, outlined on the map projected along the front wall. I try to memorise the names and faces of those in the room. I listen to the histories that come out as a prelude to the speaker's impassioned conclusions. One would think these, these are lawyers' con- closing testimonies, but no, we're in a whare nui talking about our mokopuna and a future that we can build with them in mind. I turn my shame into humility. Somebody was uh, talking recently about the, f- the sense of of, of shame that they experience as being part of the, the dominant culture, the, the privileged um, majority. And perhaps this is an example of where we could if we could just turn our shame into humility. I turn my shame into humility and I sit and observe. At the end of each section of um, this, this uh, article, um, Haile Koroi um, offers some challenging questions and uh, for us to answer. And um, I'll see if in one of the sets of questions. And just find it here. She says, have you engaged in the practice of noho tēna? Uh, and tēna is a very important term for the, for the younger sister or brother, the sort of the apprentice to the, to the elder, to the experienced elder. And noho means to sit, to be still. Or to contemplate. So, very um, an illuminating term, nohotena, to sit, be still, and to listen. realize that I'm running out of time I'm not going to get to to all of the all of um, the passages in this that I wanted to read Um, so let me skip forward a little bit So
1: just
0: so the t- the term for the elder, for between the, t- the 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 uh, the apprentice and the elder, the other one is is tuakana the, the and this is, can a tuakana can be both a human being, but it could also be um, an element in the landscape. She talks about the. The mountain next to the to the marae being a kind of tuakana. There's a yeah, there's a little um, in the glossary, tuatena the youngest, the least experienced, or the entity that is still growing within a kaupapa or a particular body of knowledge, and tuakana, the Eldest, most experienced, or most advanced entity within a kopaba or body of knowledge. She talks about the tangata tiriti, so her, the, the peoples who have come sort of under the um, uh, authority of the treaty, so the later arrivals whereas the, the, we have the Māori are the tangata whenua, we are the tangata tiriti um, as being the tena, the being the, the junior, the junior partner, the one who has the most to, do, to learn, the one who needs to sit and listen, to learn the wisdom that comes from uh, generations of living on this, this land, in this place. Tells the the, um, the the really tragic story of uh, the draining of the lake that um, was in her her ancestors on her ancestors' land. Um, the name of the lake was. Uh, hangong and um she says As well as providing fertile soils and water for our nearby gardens, Lake Tangonge was used regularly as a place to gather tuna, pipi, freshwater mullet called kānai raukura, freshwater mussels called kāio, and a particular type of short-sighted duck. On all sides of the lake, various hapū would exercise their rights to access the lake and its fruits daily. The centrality of the lake within daily life was clear and is recorded in particular by one local, Here Pete Rapihana, who said, We relied upon the lake in former times for all our food supplies. Our people had their homes along the edge of the lake whilst engaged in fishing and hunting. The, the levels of the lake used to change a lot due in periods of, of heavy rain, and um, sometimes they would have to um, unblock the, the, the mouth of the Kaitaia River um, when the lake levels got too high. However, in 1913, this incident, this was of, of um, letting, helping to the lake levels go down by creating a channel this incident was taken advantage of and drainage operations were carried out by the government under the Kaitaia Land Drainage Act. The lake and its entire fisheries were destroyed. The lake was drained again in the 1920s under the Swamp Drainage Act to open up new land for returning soldiers and dairy farming. Many of the local hapū were against plans to drain the lake. Not only would they not benefit from its draining in any way, but they would could also be significantly worse off having lost a vital food source. The most they could do was get paid to do the labour of the digging of the deep trenches. The Swamp Drainage Act and other acts were employed to similar effect um, with huge implications across a, great, a, a number of lake wetland sites including Kaitaia, Hauraki and the Rangitaiki River. Within each of these localities, lakes and wetlands were drained to extend usable lands for settlement, in particular for returned soldiers, non-Māori, and intensive farming endeavours. Hāpū saw these bodies of water as an important food source and vital element within the local ecosystems. These drainage schemes contributed to the rapid loss of Māori lands while hapū were never consulted. The drainage of these bodies of waters has contributed to ongoing issues of water filtration, silting, low water levels and native species decline. The destruction of local ecosystems, which occurred nationwide after the British crown observed power from hapū was widespread the loss of access to ancestral food systems and the destruction of ancestral lights has had a devastating implications for the well-being of hapū." She goes on to to talk about how these these ecosystems um, were not only sources of um, of nourishment for whole tribes, but um, were significant carbon sinks. And they were destroyed and more than often not replaced by um, significant carbon dioxide sources, such as intensive farming. And the point she makes in the story, um, which she very vividly sets out, is that Um, She says, if we had listened to the first cries of injustice at the hands of settler colonialism, we would not have had to wait until settler populations were in harm's way before deciding to act. In other words, she's looking right back to to, uh, where these um, disconnected um, engineering of the land uh, began. She says that this swamp draining is just one aspect of a whole menu of different kinds of extractive processes that were undertaken that had negative effects on Māori and on the land itself. And of course, not just physical damage, but injustice. where where land is is appropriated, where sources of livelihood are taken away. And this this has gone on again and again and again. And of course, the the systems behind these appropriations were, um, were white supremacist, capitalist, patriarchal systems. When we hear these words, these terms, um, they can they can be an immediate turn-off, and they are and they are conceptual terms. So we have to, in a way, we have to dig down to understand them or to to give them some embodiment. Uh, white supremacist. If you think of the the, the settlers colonisers who came to New Zealand, convinced that the European culture was superior. That since the, the technology of European culture was superior, it was also morally superior, and and there was not, no no thought by most people. There was no thought even given to the rightness of imposing um, European ways of doing things, European uh, values on to indigenous people and these systems were patriarchal again it was a given that men were in charge uh, women were not even seen as full citizens or even um, in some quarters there would be debates about whether women had had souls or not. And she points out that, that we must be vigilant about not letting these same sets of values, ideologies, uh, frame um, the climate change issue. She says, if we all had cared enough about the well-being of hapū, we would have caught the early localised systems of climate change long before they became manifest within the global environment. If we had listened to the first cries of injustice at the hands of settler colonialism, we would not have had to wait until settler populations were in harm's way before deciding to act. If we had realized sooner that climate change is about so much more than the science of carbon and is about justice, love and community, we would not still be struggling to take the level of action necessary to avoid such an avoidable disaster. Real change will require nothing less than huge personal and collective paradigm shifts in how we view and relate to the world around us. I offer the concept of whakapapa as a guiding logic which has lived here since time immemorial. It speaks to the ultimate reality of our interrelatedness and interdependence as both human and more than human beings. It will require us to think beyond our human desires to the wider web of relationships in which we exist. You can start where you are right now, illuminating and building on your closest relationships. And then she gives the first set of um, uh, challenging questions for us to, to each take up and answer for ourselves. And, and as I went through this article, I realized there were a number of them that, that um, I couldn't immediately answer. She says, what are, the, are or were some historically significant landmarks within your area? What are some of the previous uses of the land in you you now reside on? Who were the local hapū in your area? What are the Maori names of the places you reside in? So, in a, in other words, pu- pushing us to to um, learn about the whakapapa, the relationships that exist in our area, right where we are, connecting to the land. And she quotes, she finishes, and we'll, we'll have to finish too with this here, um, on Whakapapa. Whakapapa weaves all of existence together into an ever-expanding web of intimate relationships, forming the basis of Maori ways of being, knowing, and doing. Connected by our origin stories, Whakapapa reveals that this web of relationship is whānau, existing in a state of fanangatanga. With whakapapa, past and future generations, our mokupuna and tupuna are intimately related. Mokupuna are reflections of tupuna. Whakapapa can explain the origins, positioning and futures of all things. Any conversation about the future is inherently a conversation about whakapapa. With this, any conversation about the future is inherently about our relationships with our mokupuna. Here, the future is not something unknown and separate from us, but something that we intimately are related to all the time. There's so much in... in this, that we can learn from, to to, instead of um, bequeathing to our descendants a huge debt to the ecosystem, so to speak, to actually come back into balance through um really questioning what we are bequeathing to to future generations, to be in dialogue both with the past and with the future. a conversation which we can can open us up to... Um, all the ways in which we, we're connected, the, 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 the great web of being, to become students of the land. Well, our time has passed up. So uh, we have to stop there, but I certainly recommend this, this essay to, to people for some some challenging questions, and perhaps something we could take up as, as a group is, is looking at these questions and answering them together. So we'll stop here and uh, we'll end with, with the four vowels in English.
1: All beings without number I vow to liberate endless blind passions I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha I vow to attain all beings without number I vow to liberate endless blind passions I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain.
0: a five minute break or so and then we'll gather on Zoom